0: are no longer in the book of Matthew. That was only two years. I mean, you know, only two years through the book of Matthew. Uh, Now we're actually taking a a, a bit of a detour through the gospel of John, just chapter one. So if you have your Bibles or your app, turn to John uh, chapter one. We're going to talk about who is Jesus. David introduced this subject a couple weeks ago, and then last week we looked at John chapter one and talked about who is Jesus, uh, the person the personhood of jesus and this week we're going to look at john chapter one on the mission of jesus i'm very confident that i could try to mine all of the nuggets out of john's gospel for the rest of my life and come up short there is so much in the gospel of john Uh, my hope is that through last week and this week and next week that we'll just get a couple of the nuggets That he's placed in there because it's just loaded with so much great stuff. Uh, The reason I think David and I chose not to preach through the Gospel of John is we didn't want to have a five-year series. We thought two was going to be enough. Um, But as we're covering uh, John, the chapter one, as we're looking at who is Jesus through John chapter one, last week we looked at him as, as a person and we realized that he is God. He is man, he is eternal, he is part of the Trinity. And while there's a lot more we could discover about Jesus and his personhood, that's a lot to chew on right there. And it's a lot to wrap our heads around. And John just makes these statements like, of course this is the way it is. And you're supposed to just go, okay, I get it. And then you spend the rest of your life going, I think I get it. I don't get it all, but I get this part. And that's basically the way John is designed to to get you to, to work. When John presents a subject, he doesn't just come out and say, here's the one thing you need to know. He says it in such a way so that there's multiple layers for you to apply and to think through and to process. And it's never about one specific pinpoint thing. It's almost always, I shouldn't say never, it's almost always about a lot bigger picture than just the statement he's making. And John chapter one is just one of my favorite chapters full of that. Um, This week, I want to look at how John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, described Jesus in his gospel. Um, He not only told us who Jesus is, but he told us very clearly what Jesus came to do. What was Jesus' mission? How many of you ever had a mission before? Like, oh yeah, if you're a soldier, it's kind of like, yeah, kind of default. You know. If you're, if you're a parent, just, just surviving can be a mission, right? Um, you know, we all have missions that we've been assigned to. What was the mission of Jesus? Why did he come to earth? And John gets very clear on this, and he doesn't just give us his opinion, he actually quotes Jesus quite a few times on what Jesus' mission is, which makes sense. We said last week, if you want to know something about someone, ask that person. And if you can't physically ask that person, ask somebody who was really close to them. Well, John has from Jesus exactly what Jesus said his mission was. I'm going to put that on the screen for you right now. It says this, I have come down from heaven, this is Jesus speaking, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not, lose, um, not I should lose none of those he has given to me, but I should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In a nutshell, the mission of Jesus was to do the will of the Father in redeeming mankind. You can sum it up in that simple statement, but unpacking it can take a lifetime. The mission of Jesus was to do the will of the Father in redeeming mankind. Now now far be it from John to state something that simplistic. That would just be too easy. Um, He's got to instead use metaphors and illustrations to try to help us understand all of what that means. Uh, In in his prologue, which is the first six verses of John chapter 1, He just fills it full of imagery. Instead of just saying, Jesus came to do the will of the Father in redeeming mankind, he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you're like, okay, what does it mean? How do we unpack that? He uses two metaphors, as a matter of fact, um, in John chapter 1 that really speak to the mission, particularly, I think, um, of what Jesus came to do. And so in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning, and all things came to be through him. And without him, nothing made had, had being. And in him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not suppressed it. There was a man sent from God whose name was Yochanan. I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible, just so that you know. It has a few different words there, so uh, bear with me on that. He came to be a testimony, to bear witness concerning the light, so that through him everyone might put his trust in God and be faithful to him. He himself was not the light. No, he came to bear witness concerning the light. And this was the true light, which gives the light to everyone entering the world. He was in the world, and the world came to be through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own homeland, yet his own people did not receive him. But to as many as did receive him, to those who put their trust in his person and power, he gave the right to become children of God, not because of bloodline, physical impulse, or human intention, but because of God." We already talked last week about how John wants us to connect the intro to his gospel to the intro to the Torah. So John 1 is meant to map on over to Genesis chapter 1. It's intentional. When when you hear the phrase, in the beginning, there's one place your brain goes, and that's back to Genesis chapter 1, and that was intentional. And in Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1, 1 switches it up a little bit. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, who was creating in the beginning, and the Word was God, and was creating with God in the beginning, and everything that was created was created with him. So he intermixes the Word, or Jesus, in, with God, in the beginning, and he's he's embellishing on the creation story, if you will, by showing how Jesus fits into that. And there's two metaphors that he uses. One is the Word, and one is light. And I want us to unpack those two together today. We're gonna start with light. How many of you like light? How many of you love it when you lose power and everything just goes dark and you can't see anything? Oh, yeah, Uh uh-huh. It's fun when you're young, right? It's kind of scary, isn't it? You ever been outside in the pitch black dark where you can't see anything? And it's like, okay, I'd like a light right now. No stars, no moon, like just a cloudy. How many of you have been in that situation? Is it comforting? Not really. Not really. Well, let's start by looking at what John says about light in John chapter one. So, as you have your Bibles, I've actually you have your Bibles to and turn to John one. What does John say about light in John chapter one? Let's give you a chance to interact here. Tell me what does he say about light? What are some of the statements he makes? Anybody? Nobody wants to jump in at all? It's going to be a long message. It's a big pause. Yes? Light shines in the darkness. Light shines in the darkness, absolutely. And what did it say about the darkness? The darkness does not overcome it. it. Yep. Okay. What else do you see? Light was the light of men. Light was the light of men. Yeah, what else does he say? Who was a witness to the light? John, what was the purpose of the light? What's that? Right after that, to point people to God, right? Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. All right, so there's a lot of imagery that he points in here, and a lot of things you can read and just go, okay, the light was the, light of, the, the, light was the life of, of men. John testified about the light. I don't remember a sermon where John mentioned, John the Baptist mentioned light, but he testified about the light. John is painting a picture here and he's trying to take us back to Genesis one. And I'm gonna take us back there again. Um, Genesis one, verses one through five. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, day one. Do you see any connections between what John is saying, any hyperlinks between what John is saying in John 1 and what um, is being written in Genesis chapter 1? What connections might John be trying to make? Well, before creation, what was the condition of the of the earth? It was what dark. dark. It was it was form it was formless. It was empty. It was covered in darkness. The Hebrew phrase is a fun one to say. It's tohu va bohu, and it's it's kind of one it's kind of fun ones to say. And it means literally it means empty and lifeless. And darkness covered it. The uncreated world was empty and lifeless and covered in darkness. And therefore, the creation process needs to remove the darkness so that life can exist, fill the space to sustain life, and then create life. That's what the creation process is that we read in Genesis chapter 1. So what's the first act of creation then? Created light, right? God said, let there be light. The light came into existence and dispelled the darkness. Let me take your brain back to John chapter 1. Who is the light in John chapter 1? Jesus. And what did the light do to the darkness? Dispelled the darkness. Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. There was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. He dispelled the darkness so that light could exist. You see how John is mapping Jesus into that creation encounter with light. Part of Jesus' mission is to dispel darkness. That's part of his mission. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means. If light came into, if light came into existence in a displaced darkness and Jesus is that light, then the mission must include, the mission of Jesus must include dispelling the darkness. And this is not just the physical darkness that we have in creation. What types of darkness might he be talking about? Sin, Sin, absolutely. Spiritual darkness, sin. That's what Jesus came to do. The light came to separate darkness from the light and to allow, to, to remove sin and to remove spiritual sickness and spiritual darkness. But there's a fundamental question in Genesis that people don't ask. And I read a bunch of commentaries on Genesis chapter one. I mean, I love Genesis chapter one and I keep reading it. On day one, God said, let there be light. What was that light? It's not until day four that the sun and the moon and the stars are created. So what was this light? there's an ambiguity about it. And I think John capitalizes on that. Um, The light that existed on day one had to come directly from God. It had to emanate from God. There was no other creation to display that light. So the light had to come from God. Is that a biblical concept? Light emanating from God? Can you think of any scriptures that might talk about that? Isaiah. Isaiah? Oh yeah. Didn't we just read that? Isaiah 60. Yeah, we might get back to that one. Let me, let me put up a couple for you. Okay. Ezekiel 127. So we're talking about the prophets here. From what seemed to be his waist up. This is somebody describing um, God. From what seemed to be his waist up, I saw a gleam like amber with what looked like fire enclosing it all around. And from what seemed to be his waist down, I also saw what looked like fire. And there was a brilliant light all around him. The appearance of the brilliant light all around was like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. (laughs) Isn't that a beautiful description? This was the appearance of the likeness of the Lord's glory. And when I saw it, I fell face down and heard the voice speaking. This was the appearance of the likeness of the Lord's glory. This was a light that was emanating from the Lord, from Yahweh. Okay, well, that's the prophets, and this is Ezekiel. And we all know that Ezekiel was a little bit Unusual Is that a good phrase to use for Ezekiel? He's not your typical guy. If you ran into Ezekiel this day, you probably would not say, "Hey, why don't you come over for a Bible study?" Because he, he would probably really freak you out. So what about going to the New Testament? Um, in Matthew chapter 17, we talked about the transfiguration. And this is when Jesus went up on the mountains uh, on the mountain in 17 chapter 17, verses one and two. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. As Jesus was transfigured before them, as, he was, as the glory that was due him that he had at one time and it will be given to him again was revealed, he became a bright light in front of his disciples. The, the radiance or the glory of God was revealed. And you know I'm going to take you to Revelation. I mentioned if we're going to look at Jesus and who he is, we have to start in in Genesis and we have to end in Revelation because you, the whole book of, of the scripture talks about him. In Revelation 21, easy verses to remember. Chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. So 21, 22, 23. Very easy to remember. You have this beautiful picture of the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem in this case. And it says this, I did not see a temple in it because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. So in the new Jerusalem, there's no sun, there's no moon, there's no stars. It's lit up by the glory of God and the presence of God that lights up everything. And the the source of that light, the lamp, is what? The lamb. John doesn't really call Jesus the lamb too much. But John the Baptist did, right? At Jesus' baptism, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this idea of Scripture referring to the radiance or glory of God being the light that illuminates his creation started in Genesis 1 and is reestablished in Revelation at the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth. it's the glory and radiance of God that I think John is referring to when he says that Jesus is the light he is the glory of the father he is the radiance of the father he is the exact image of the father he dispels the darkness he is the source of all light and that light that emanates from God and dispels the darkness is His glory revealed through the Son. So part of the mission of Jesus is to reveal light or to reveal the Father, the glory of the Father. That's part of what he came to do. I realize I'm going pretty heavy into the metaphor here, so if I lose you, just give me that cocker spaniel look, and we'll uh, we'll try to come back and, and clarify. The mission of Jesus is to reveal light or the glory of the Father. Jesus said it this way, In John 14 9 have I been among you all this time and you do not know me Philip Philip said show us the father and Jesus said the one who has seen me has seen the father so how can you say show us the father part of his mission was to reveal the father to us And as the Son displays the Father, as he is the icon or the image of God to mankind, the light shines, and this light gives light. Again, going back to 1 John 1, 1 through 5, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. And in him was life, and that life was the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Later in in John's gospel, he's going to quote Jesus as saying this. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. John sees Jesus as the light that shines in the darkness of creation to bring about life, you couldn't have creation and life in genesis 1 without first getting rid of the darkness because we know that if you try to grow things in total darkness they do not survive so the first thing had to be light and then there had to be something to sustain life and then life was created after that jesus is the light that allows there to be life later on that dispels the darkness so there can be light uh, life that comes Now, the light appeared to all mankind, and all mankind did not receive it well, is the way that John puts it, right? He was in the world, and the world came to be through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own homeland, and yet his own people did not receive him. So the light came into the world, and though the world was created through him, it did not recognize or know him. Depending on your translation, you might have the word recognize, or you might have the word know. Um, to recognize doesn't mean like, oh yeah, I, I, I see that, I recognize. It's not just a, a acknowledgement, like when you see somebody across a room and you go, I think that's so-and-so. That's not really what recognize means. To recognize uh, means a lot more than that. In English, recognize can be to uh, give honor to or to acknowledge somebody, right? So let's say the president of the United States walks through the doors of North Country Fellowship Church. How how might we recognize the president of the United States? He's old. Well, I don't mean that way. That's your appearance. What would we do to recognize him as president? So, right? First, we'd all back away from the Secret Service coming in. Right. Right. We might all stand as he walks in. He might be announced as the president of the United States. I don't care if you, if you voted for the person or like the person or not. This is the president of the United States. This is an important position and the person who is leading our country and someone that we should be praying for and uplifting before God. If that person walks through the doors of that church. We're going to recognize that person by acknowledging their presence and their position and by respecting them, Right? Jesus came into the world that was created by him, and yet he was not recognized. He was not acknowledged, he was not accepted, he was not given the honor that was due to him. It also says that he came to his own people, and they did not receive or accept him. That's a whole different statement. The people of God, the Jews, did not receive Jesus. They might have been looking for the Messiah, and they might have actually accept, uh, acknowledged some of the things that Jesus did as messianic works, but they were not willing to accept Jesus for who he said he was, which is why they crucified him. Um, the opposite of to accept is to reject, and that's exactly what they did to him. Now we mentioned in Matthew's gospel, while we studied it, that the, there's a problem with Jesus and the truth of Jesus, and that is once you hear it, you have to respond to it. And you will either respond by accepting it or by rejecting it. That's, you, you really have no other choice. It's a truth put in front of you. Anytime a truth is placed in front of you, gravity is real. You either accept it or you don't, and you pay the consequences of either one, right? <laughs> Any of you as kids ever try to fly off your top bunk bed? You learn that gravity is real, whether you accept it or not, right? Truth is truth, and there is absolute truth. And when you're faced with this, truth that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is who he says he was as evidenced by his life and his death and his resurrection, by his miracles, by his witnesses, you have a choice to either accept or reject that. That's the problem with Jesus. There's no neutral ground. It's one way or the other. So what happens if you reject Jesus? John just said that Jesus came in, the light came into the world and the world did not recognize him and he came to his own people and they did not accept him. So what's the end result of that? Well, John explains that in John 3, 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. Those who reject Jesus face a judgment. But the mission of Jesus was not judgment. You have to understand that about Jesus. The mission of Jesus was not judgment. Jesus did not come into the world to judge the world. Matter of fact, it's very plain in John's Gospel, John 3 16 and 17. How many of you know John 3 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. A lot of people forget verse 17, but it's really important. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Right? The mission of Jesus was not about judgment. The mission of Jesus is to rescue people, to save people. Whether or not people choose to accept him or not is a choice he gives us, isn't it? Regardless of your view of irresistible grace or whatever your views are, the scriptures say you must believe, you must accept. There's a choice that needs to be made. John 1.12. And this is where John gives us the hope. The one who did receive him, to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Those who do accept Jesus become children. Those who do know Jesus become born of God. They're born again. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Yeah, if you're not a churchgoer and you hear born again, it's like a, it's like a go the other way kind of sign. I mean, it's, it's like repellent, isn't it? How many of you heard that heard that phrase before you were Christians, and you're like, I don't want, anything. I don't want to be one of those born-again people? My mom raised her hand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to be one of those people. Mm, they're weird. They're strange, right? No, we are just have a new life, and we understand the value of that and the value of, of each person in God's eyes and what Jesus has done for us. It's a beautiful thing. So they're born again. They're born again. They're not part of God's family because of their heritage, because they were Jews. His people. They're not part of God's family just because they existed as part of creation. They are part of God's family because of God and because of what he has done through Jesus. John 3, 5, Jesus said, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The mission of Jesus is this new birth or a new creation, if you will. Just as Jesus was there at the creation of the heavens and the earth, he has a mission of new creation. And the Apostle Paul got this a lot. He, the Apostle Paul put it this way. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The mission of Jesus is literally recreation, new creation, taking that which is old and restoring it back to its original glory, to its original purpose, being a child of God, being able to have a relationship with God. He brings life. And all these metaphors kind of blur together. I realize I'm trying to draw lines between them, but they all, it's like one big, beautiful berry pie. And each of these is a gorgeous berry inside of it. You can't separate them. You just have to appreciate it all together. How many of you, how many of you love berry pie? If you'd like to bring one next week, I will, I will accept that and I will pray for you. John... So, the second metaphor after light is the word, and I want to quickly jump to the word. Um, so, in, in, the, in the idea of the light, we have Jesus as um, dispelling darkness, so removing sin. We have Jesus as revealing the glory of the Father or revealing the Father, creating light. Uh, we have him in this recreative role of recreation, of making things new for those that believe in him. And then there's this concept of the word. And we talked about it last week that um, it's a unique term to John's gospel. Nobody else referred to Jesus as the word. Just John. Even Jesus didn't really refer to himself as the word. The way, the truth, the life, the road. John's like, no, he's the word. And you're like, okay, well, why? Um, Mark and Matthew, right out of the jump, the, the first verses, they're like, This is the story about jesus john gets through first six verses introducing his entire book giving us an outline for his entire gospel and he doesn't mention jesus name until verse 17. he just like leaves jesus name out and just says this word existed matter of fact um, you gotta wonder why did he use the word we said that john was connecting chapter one of his gospel he didn't have chapters the intro, the prologue of his letter, to the intro of the Torah, right, of Genesis chapter 1. So why would he use the word, word, to describe Jesus? If I were to ask you how many, let me ask this, if I were to ask you how did God create the heavens and the earth, what would be the answer? He spoke it right? He said. As a matter of fact, that phrase, and God said, appears 11 times in Genesis chapter one. Five times, we see that God called something this, so his word again, naming things. And then two times, we have God blessing things, blessing the animals and blessing the humans, and they were spoken words to bless. So there's at least 18 references in Genesis chapter one alone Of the word involved in creation and creation coming out of the word. The word of God was very active in creation. It was creation was spoken into existence. The word of God created life. Now, some believe this is not a literal thing. There are those that just think this is another metaphor. I think the Old Testament's really clear on this, and I think the rest of the scriptures are really clear on it. Um, Let me just give you some verses here. Psalm 33 is beautiful. The heavens were made by the word of Yahweh. When you see Lord in all caps, it's it's the name of God. The heavens were made by the word of Yahweh and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. I would say that the psalmist believes in a literal interpretation of Genesis chapter one. And if he's willing to take that, I'm willing to take that. Um, I think we need to be careful about not taking God's word sometimes for exactly what it says it is. It was, in Genesis, it was the word of God that formed things. It was the word of God that was the power in acting creation. And John connected Jesus to creation and called him the word. So let's read, I'm going to read with you again. I know I've been reading this passage a lot. John 1, 1 through 3. Thinking of Genesis chapter 1, at least 18 references of the word of God, and God speaking at least seven times, speaking things into existence. That's not even all the times where God said it was good. And now read John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and he was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. So reading Genesis 1, you know that all things were created through the very word of God. And the word of God had the power to create. And now you have Jesus being referred to as the word of God who was there at the beginning in creation. I think that it's possible that what John is trying to allude to here is that Jesus was not only the living version of the voice of God, but he had the power and the authority of God to create new creation. That Jesus, by giving him the title word, was giving him the authority and the power to enact the will of God upon creation. And we know that that's the case when it comes to salvation, right? He came to do the will of the Father to redeem us from our own sins, and he had the authority. As a matter of fact, he said that all authority was given to him. After his resurrection, his last words to his disciples, right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. And I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. All authority had been given to Jesus. As the word, he had the very voice and authority and power. If I came, and just to think about this in in that literal sense, if I came as the voice of Bill McMahon, just because Bill happens to be there smiling at me, if I came as the voice of Bill McMahon, I come in the authority to say words on behalf of Bill McMahon. If he gives me that authority, then I come as a voice for him. When Jesus was the word of God, declares the word of God, he's also coming as the one who has the right and the power to speak on God's behalf, as is given to him, and the authority to act on the Father's behalf to accomplish the Father's will. That's super important when you think about the purpose of the light. The light came to displace darkness, to reveal the Father, and to create new life, On its own, no one can do that, but through the Father. And because Jesus is the Son and also God, it does happen. In the beginning introduces in Genesis the story of old creation. In the beginning in the Gospel of John begins a story of new creation. In Revelation, it's actually the word of God that will carry out the recreation of the heavens and the earth one last final time. By using the metaphor of word, we're drawn to the creative authority and power of God that first displaced darkness created light and created life. And the same power and authority was given to Jesus as the word. So through the metaphors of light, through the metaphors of the word, we understand this, that the mission of Jesus is to dispel darkness, to reveal light, or the Father, and to create a new, new creation. That was his mission. Another way we could phrase it, his mission was to remove sin, was to reveal God, and to rescue people. It's that simple. Matter of fact, you could say the mission of Jesus was to do the will of the Father in redeeming. Mankind. John just wants you to realize that it's not on his own authority that he came. He came under the authority of the Father. He didn't just come with his own voice, he came with the voice of God himself because he was God and because he was also submissive to the Father in what he was doing to accomplish his will. John wants you to see that the same creation power that spoke everything into existence has the same ability to recreate our lives new, through Jesus Christ. For those who will accept him and receive him, there can be a new birth, a new creation, spoken into existence through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and there's absolutely no darkness in him. And if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you've heard about Jesus but never received him or accepted him or acknowledged him, today's a great day to do that jesus is still in the recreation business in the new creation business and you can become a new creation by believing in him and submitting your life to him and that's as simple as a prayer away if you've received this from jesus my challenge is are you living as a new creation are you understanding what he has done for you and have you embraced his mission as your mission? Because our mission is to join God on his mission of redeeming people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and for your grace. Thank you for your mission, which started in Genesis. Which started thousands of years ago, of pursuing us, of wanting to be with us, of restoring us, of re renewing us to what you've created us to be. Thank you for sending Jesus to dispel the darkness, to remove the sin from our lives. Thank you for sending Jesus to be the light, to reveal your glory and, and who you are to us. And thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us, to recreate us, to be like you, to have a heart that seeks after you, to be faithful to you. I pray that as we leave here today, that you'd help us to recognize that there are so many people that need to know about the hope and the joy of recreation, of being freed from sin and from darkness. Help us, Father, to be lights, to be cities that are set on a hill and a light that shines out brightly, that other people can see you and come to know you, we pray. Amen.